Welcome and welcome to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. Today on the podcast, I am interviewing Beverly Densham, who is a mindfulness Pilates teacher and author, and she is also one of my friends here on the South Coast, and we actually met locally at the Saltwater Sauna. Beverly graduated from the University of Brighton with a degree in sports science. And she had a successful Pilates studio for 16 years before she relocated to Dorset by the Sea, which she calls her happy place. She now teaches mindfulness Pilates at her Zoom studio with meditation, mindset, journaling, and positive affirmations. And her work helps in reducing back pain and just helping people feel good and to be stronger in both their mind and body. She is the host of the Mindfulness Pilates podcast and also teaches the Working Through Stress to Calm workshops and classes for lawyers, law firms, corporate teachers, nurses, and children. Her next books are the Stress to Calm series to help you live happily ever after. And in addition to this impressive resume, Beverly has also had various chronic fatigue challenges due to various reasons across her lifetime. And I wanted to invite her on the show today just to talk about some of these experiences, some of the lessons from these experiences, some of the things that have helped her overcome some of the really big challenges that she's faced in her life. And perhaps just help you, the listener, find a little bit of hope and inspiration in your own recovery journey. So I hope you will enjoy listening to this episode and enjoy everything that Beverly and myself have to say and share. So hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. I'm here with Beverly Densham today. We can call her Bev for short. And I actually did an interview with Bev last week, which we decided to re-record on Bev's request. And we thought we would actually just have a little bit of a conversation about what happened and and talk a little bit about that. But before we go into all of that, Bev, how are you doing today? Yes, I'm I'm doing well today. I've had really nice work. I had lovely Pilates class I, I taught the start of the day. Well, I started with my own morning routine first. So that was nice and a little walk. And then I did then I went to work. I've been at business networking and welcomed some new clients in today. So that's been nice. And here I am with you. It's been a it's oh. been a positive start. Oh, that's so great to hear. And we know each other from the sea sauna. And um, for the listeners who don't know Maybe if you've seen me post about it on Instagram, but here on the Southwest Coast, we've got a wonderful sauna on the beach where it's lovely in the winter to get all hot in the sauna and then go plunge in the freezing cold sea. And that's actually where I met Bev. And I think we're in a few saunas together. And then one day, I think we ended up sitting next to each other. And you asked me a little bit about what I did. And I, I told you about my business and you said, you know, a lot of people get into that work because they've had some sort of experience like that themselves. And I was like, yep, that's a very accurate statement. And and you shared that you'd also been on a, a fatigue journey as well. And that's really why I wanted to have you on the show today. I know you've been listening to the podcast. We've also become friends. We've had lots of conversations about different things, comparing notes. And I know you have a really inspirational journey to share. 
So um, I'm looking forward to doing this all again the second time. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I'm <laughs> so, um, talking about what happened last time because I know I I said to you a whole bunch of questions in preparation for the interview and you really took it very seriously and you started journaling, I think just reflecting on your, your whole journey and and it was quite a lot. So I don't know if you want to speak about that. Yeah, yeah, so first of all, yeah, I love meeting you at the corner on the beach. It's been lovely to become friends as well, just to acknowledge that. And uh, we have a sauna book, right? I think we're looking forward to that. Yeah, you sent the questions over, some of the questions that you're going to ask in the interview. And obviously, thank you for redoing it today. And it was what, what I did was I just sat down there with a notebook and a pen and I just wrote and wrote the answers whatever came to me about each question and it was actually an enormous amount and it was also quite emotional at times as well to acknowledge and um, to acknowledge all that happened and I thought I was going to be fine I thought I was going to be absolutely fine for the interview and uh, I've never asked anyone before to to re-record something but I had it was just pages and pages and pages of notes about my personal chronic fatigue journey and it was a bit like do-it-yourself therapy <laughs> I'd recommend you probably book in with everyone and do it all yourself but but it was like do-it-yourself therapy really of that whole timeline and it was quite fascinating clearly I wasn't meant to look at any of those notes or journaling before today <laughs> talk, talking to Diana because um yeah having it was quite I didn't feel I had a proper natural conversation with you because I was wanting to read some of the things I'd written and then I think it was quite so quite so natural but it was yeah it was it was there was obviously I think often there is more layers of the onion peel or more things I needed to express and it was a really good way putting it in writing yeah absolutely and I think I shared when we did the previous recording it's actually a process that I asked my clients to do is sort of write out a timeline of all the different events in their life and different you know sometimes just write a few lines and some clients probably like you would write a lot and and really um, use it as a therapeutic process but I think it's really helpful for our own healing I think to understand our own story and make sense of our own story it's also really helpful for me as a practitioner to understand other people's stories and I think there's a natural curiosity just generally to hear people's stories I love hearing stories of people who've been through really challenging things and how they've showed resilience and how they've come out the other side stronger with, you know, maybe a little bit battered and bruised in some places, but stronger. And just uh, for me, I find that so inspirational. And I know you've got a very inspirational story to tell. Maybe we should just start off and maybe just share a little bit about where this journey with fatigue began for you. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. When I was I just drew this, I suppose it's like a graph on a piece of paper of my, from baby to the age I'm at now. And the first 16 years, there was no problem with fatigue or illness in, in that way or anything like that. So it was like, I, it was like a green, green 16 years and I was heavily into, really enjoyed sports and being a national squash player and runner and um, I was kind of well known for being extremely energetic <laughs> or liking to do those sorts of things. But when sort of um, when I when I got 17 years old, the sort of fatigue journey started, and I had anemia. And then I remember when I was uh, after doing my sports science degree, 
I went and went for a summer PGL activity holiday as a tennis coach. I was a play tennis. And I, I, I didn't know what was happening to me. I ended up with glandular, being diagnosed with glandular fever. And it was quite a shock to go from someone who was always booked in as a tennis coach. I could hardly walk. Uh, I just found it difficult to walk. And then I couldn't actually walk very far at all. And in fact, going to a post box was like a marathon then. And that's when I had a sort of glandular fever diagnosis. And that was quite a abrupt um, experience, really, of, of experiencing sort of very chronic fatigue then. So that was a really experience of chronic fatigue. And, and how long did it kind of take you to get over that period of glandular fever? Um, it was gradual. I remember, I remember I was quite how not completely housebound. So I tried to walk a little bit, like I gradually managed to get to the post spot. But I remember like sitting, having dinner, like with my family and it was even too much like sit up and eat the whole dinner. I'd have to like, there, there's, there's not the sort of it's the sort of dinner table where there are chair there are chairs individual chairs but also there's like a bench where or a cushioned bench and I'd be like lying down on the bench and then sitting back up to eat and I certainly wouldn't be staying there for the whole dinner kind of thing. Uh, I don't really know how long it went on for. Gradually, I got myself a job and decided I was after the uh, sports science degree that I would then work and save and travel. So there was kind of um, there was kind of no pressure and I just saved travel. So gradually by a year late, I was then able to go and travel the world for a year and a half. But that wasn't, you know, completely without symptoms though. And at the time, I first year of university, I didn't drink alcohol. And then I kind of, you know, obviously it was my choice, but I got sucked into the kind of university binge drinking lifestyle, even though I was also very sporty and doing all that stuff. And the same with traveling around the world, there's that culture as well, which I kind of joined in with on and off. And it really was very noticeable how alcohol would exacerbate symptoms. So I didn't wake up to the fact, stop it at that time until later on. I've done alcohol now for over 15 years, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, one, I can't remember exactly last time I had it. But um, yeah, that was. But yeah, I did manage to travel the world. But then at the end of those travels, there was a major road traffic accident. And that's when the symptoms got very bad again. So you um, think you said you were on a bicycle and there was a car accident and you sort of had three sort of impacts, all sorts of different parts of your body. And then I believe it was from that point onwards, you struggling with your back. Yeah, I did have I did have back problems before the accident as well. And that's when I got in Pilates initially. Uh, yeah, the accident, I had to have an operation after that and there were, there was the mental recovery as well. The back kind of got worse and I had different diagnoses on the back of multiple prolapse discs in the low back and there's a condition called spinal stenosis, which is a narrowing of the nerve roots so there's not quite as much room for the nerves, which I sort of, I just live with it by moving, <laughs> walking and doing Pilates basically. But at the time... I wasn't quite so empowered with the tools for how. Um, so after I got, after having learned it in Bondi Beach in Sydney, Australia, I when I got back and I was, well, not no, not fully recovered at all mentally and physically. But I did then I got back into the Pilates and they let me go and do the training even with a splint. I had the operation plate and screw my wrist and they let me do the training with a splint for my wrist, which was 
yeah, they were obviously quite happy for me to be there, even though I didn't quite use all of my body yet. Uh, yeah, and I fell in love with it. It gave me something to do that was positive. I was passionate about it. I had this thing that it helped me a lot already with my back and my body and also with my mental recovery because I did have post-traumatic stress disorder and panic attacks and high anxiety and it it just helped me sort of mentally and physically and I wanted to help other I decided I wanted to help other people uh, with their bodies too and also from a fatigue point of view it was nice to do something that was gentle and doable as opposed to my old squash days and sort of 800 meter, 1500 meter cross country kind of running days, more of a, you know, going for a walk and, and doing some Pilates was kind of more doable, really. Setting up a really successful Pilates studio. And so, how how was your health then? Because, I, you know, the fitness industry is also quite a brutal industry in terms of long hours, beginning of the day, late at night, building a business. So how did you find that period of your life when you were sort of teaching the Pilates, but also still maybe not fully recovered energy-wise? Yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster because so many things happened in those 16 years of having in-person studios. So I, I had these wonderful studios. It started off with, you know, just a few clients and then five, and then the five class and then 10 class and it just grew and grew and grew. And so I had two studios there and a team of teachers and, you know, hundreds of clients a week kind of thing. There was something else that needed the diagnosis as well, which attributed to the fatigue. That was celiac disease. So 2004, I was diagnosed with that. That was obviously a contributing factor, you know, contributing factor that obviously the diet needed to be addressed. But, you know, lots of different things happened in those 16 years, both health problem-wise. Um, I got married. I got divorced. I experienced emotional, psychological, domestic abuse in that time, which was, it's like um, it's like a nightmare that didn't happen, but it did happen. If that makes any sense at all now, and that really that definitely didn't help me either from the energy level point of view. But I still managed though. I still managed because it's like as you said in the fitness industry, there's there's two main shifts a day: morning to lunchtime to early afternoon, and then every single evening and Saturday. So obviously, even if you're not doing all of those shifts, if somebody's not well or sick. You're, you're often the one that's obviously going to cover and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was, um, it was stress is, is definitely a factor. I think grief, let alone if it's traumatic grief as well, that, that was quite a factor at one point as well. Yeah, quite a few things really. There was, there was a lot going on and I think it was the, the end of your marriage that was the catalyst for you moving down to the southwest coast. So did you want to talk a little bit about that move? And I think this is kind of like, for me at least, this is a really inspirational part of your story because you like literally starting over from scratch with all these other things going on and and you did it. Yeah, I did. I did. I set the goal. I didn't make it happen until four years after I actually sort of set the goal. In some ways, yeah, I mean, for me, I just, yeah, I just didn't want to be in that county anymore. As my home and too many past links to negativity and the past, although my beautiful family and some of my favourite friends are there, who I love very much. Uh, so, yeah, I, I moved to Dorset, which is, which is what I call my happy place. So it's very, very positive. Because I, I thought to myself, I want to live the second half of my life by the sea. And at the same time, you know, you're saying goodbye to stability and 
being well known in your work and industry. I was, I mean, I was the first Pilates teacher in Hertfordshire and people came as far as London to see me. So to start all over again, but also I had to heal from that marriage. I had got myself a personal coach. She happens to be my sister, but she's a, you know, we can separate that and really help me heal from the marriage and the link with Pilates and things as well. And because at one point I retired from Pilates, I don't know if I've told you that, (laughs) or maybe not. Uh, but she helped me the coaching helped me fall in love with it wasn't like I still did Pilates every day still completely believed in it and incorporated into my lifestyle all of those wonderful things however um, I fell out of love with teaching it for different reasons to do with that very toxic narcissistic marriage Uh, so it was it was you know so nice to start again but then very tough pandemic thrown into it and I now teach on zoom online which luckily it worked and clients are getting the same benefits which is quite a result but also from an energy point of view it's actually really it's actually helps me have my dream lifestyle more by not having to travel (laughs) and set up and clean afterwards but all those that many factors that are involved you know obviously get to to that physical work it means it it does from my point of view luckily it's good for the clients and it works it's hard to be anywhere in the country but from my energy level point of view it really preserves my energy so i can go out play in the afternoon instead i'll go to the beach or you for a coffee or beach walk or plunge in the sea and a little outing on my own that dream lifestyle then all that commuting time and, and that responsibility of having to have a whole studio is quite different yeah, and I appreciate we're jumping around a little bit, but uh, you mentioned the dream lifestyle, and I know that this is something that's like it's like your kind of buzzword, so to speak. It's something that's really important for you. It's like your guiding star, and you are always making decisions and orienting your life around this dream lifestyle. So, when did that start, and what was the inspiration for that? And tell where does that piece fit into your own fatigue recovery journey? Yeah, I think in the end. I was fed up of it. I was in, I was in a vicious cycle of being a workaholic when I moved to Dorset because it's taken so so long to make it work, or in you know to make you know you you think you think you might have it sorted in six to twelve months, <laughs> but it's been nine years of it home now, and this year it's becoming a flourish. It's starting to flourish and grow nicely, and I feel confident. Uh, I think there've been so many burnouts and so much fatigue or so much exhaustion or low level fatigue that when you get those days you're feeling good and you're feeling what I call normal as in not with fatigue that is like winning the lottery for me that's like that's like an amazing feeling and I'm not here anymore have millions of people maybe I will but actually do I I want to help one person at a time and to help myself and my, my little family and not it not just to be work, but there's a dream lifestyle around that beautiful dream work. So I've got the dream work now and more so than ever before. No, it's not as financially successful yet. I'm sure it will be. I've done it before. But is, is the life more rich and happier and more fulfilling and beautiful? And the dream lifestyle for me is to work between 8 and 2 p.m. And after 2 o'clock, it's to go out in nature, to walk, to get some fresh air, maybe 
go to my favorite coffee shop, have a beautiful drink, maybe do some journaling. Some days I'll go on my own, some days I'll see a friend like you. Other days it'd be with family, but a lot of time in the mid in the week it's often on my own. Maybe to go to the sea or a plunge in the sea. And that to me is dream lifestyle to have that nature recharge time for myself. And days that I do that, it's like I am on top, like that, that I feel an immense gratitude. And that's kind of what I'm aiming for. I do go back to work with my laptop later lying down, but when I get back, however, that, yeah, that's kind of my little dream lifestyle. Rather than you get to desk all day long, and I, I, my board, my back doesn't want to sit all day and do that. And I just don't want to keep having multiple burnout. So it's also a prevention thing as well. Uh, and and speaking of which, I think you've only really shared like very very small bits of your fatigue recovery. I know there were some other things as well that happened with your thyroid and whatnot. But where would you say your health is now? And what are some of the things that have that have helped you in that journey the most? Yeah, so many. Yes, where I'm at now, I'm not at that, you know, glandular fever, horrendous stage. I'm not in a stage where I can't work at all because I was like that initially and no chance of looking after anyone else, let alone, my, you know, just about myself, you know, putting your, just doing base, very basic things. So where I'm at now, I'm still on the fatigue recovery journey, like, if I look at the last week, honestly, I've probably had two out of seven very, very good days where this amazing day and actually the day you interviewed me, I came to sit, I came to see you on the beach and I worked, walked quite a lot and I felt normal in my energy levels. I felt good. I was so happy to be meeting you, my one of my friends. And we went in the sea and we had, you know, had a nice cup of tea and we had a little walk and chit chat. And that was one of my favorite days in the last week. That was a really good one today, feeling good as well. But I've also had many afternoons where days where I've had exhaustion after work and low level fatigue where I've had to go to sleep in the afternoon. And so I've had several of those days as well. I haven't done the dream lifestyle every day in the last week, but the days I have it, you know, and some, some weeks I have five of those days and I'm so grateful. And some days they're like mini dream lifestyles. So I might only make it on the tiny walk to the coffee shop and come back. And other days I'm able to venture further to the sea or to the park as well or the woods as well. So uh, that's sort of where it's at. And I'm trying my very best to accept, taking a breath in here, I'm trying my very best to accept that's how I am and I have to be, I think even my family still don't know fully I'm trying to explain it you know, where I'm at, but you know, uh, I'll often only do one thing in a day. A lot of people do morning and an afternoon thing and an evening thing, and I don't do anything in an evening unless it's a family wedding or something. And I'll probably leave early and think, oh, they'll probably think I'm really boring or whatever. But you have to do what you have to do. It's got to a point where is it worth it? And most of the time, the answer is no. It's actually really not worth it. Because what are the repercussions of going? To sleep late sleep is crucial for me and the time I go to sleep so you know I'm getting ready for bed before nine o'clock or you know even in the eight o'clock zone I have to sleep by 10 p.m if I sleep at 11 I'll most more than likely have fatigue the next day and that that's not not very enjoyable and it makes the work then difficult so yeah quite sleep has been a big factor getting at least nine hours sleep for me is quite crucial 
obviously Pilates has been helpful and having a morning and evening routine and stuff like that as well. And diet and nutrition has been very big for me. I mean, diet and nutrition are so unique to the individual, but what yeah. specifically has worked in your case? For me, yeah. For me, when I watched Jason Bale's Juice, Juice documentary, that was very inspiring. A friend gave me a ticket to go to London to see it, and I manifested a juicer on the way on the train. <laughs> we bumped into my sister's labour, and we were just like, where are you going? And we're going to this juice documentary. I said, oh, I've got a juicer in the garage. Do you want it? <laughs> I said, yes, please. <laughs> that was quite funny. And I found it very inspiring, and it, I found it very helpful to start juicing and adding smoothies into my lifestyle and I just gradually transformed what I ate and drank and you know you know gradually sugar sort of said mostly goodbye to things like sugar and more the healthy vegan chocolate if I'm having that sort of thing and I think the healthier you eat the more you want to eat of the right things and obviously becoming celiac and having to be gluten-free obviously and factor but yeah I found that very helpful and I did have by a resonance scan, so I did see a nutritionist and a naturopath, um, and even had infusion at one point. I think my health score was very, very low initially, and there were deficiencies, no deficiencies now. And yeah, really enjoy food now. I don't how most people eat. <laughs> I always say I'm like I'm like the one percent of the population. Like people come to my house or whatever. And they're like, oh my gosh, do you eat like this all the time? I'm like, yeah. And so I'm probably the same for you. Yeah. I mean, I've just, I'm going to have my proper lunch after the interview, but I've had a, I had a really nice juice actually before coming to see me. I'm start having more ginger again. So I've had a nice, uh, a ruby juice without the ruby in it, without the peach actually. But yeah, it's been, and it's nice going for MOT. So I now go sort of MOT see how I can improve my health further because they, they look at my health score and wouldn't expect me to need so much sleep or look at my health score and not expect me to have any fatigue or to wake up fresh as a daisy in the morning and I never wake up refreshed um, I have to have a hot and cold shower and do my morning routine to like turn myself and then, and then I gradually will wake up and do you think that that's also an individual thing like different people have got different circadian rhythms like I'm the type of person who's like I'm that annoying person in the morning who's like practice the button ready to go <laughs> but I've realized that that is not normal for most people other people do take a little bit of time to get going I think when we've been unwell we could also sort of judge ourselves quite harshly and something I always have to remind my clients is this also just like a human element to this that people get tired sometimes you know people I think the culture that we live in is so uh, expectant of we have to, you know, perform at a high level and be achieving and be working long hours and all of that type of thing. And sometimes we judge ourselves if we can't do that, but it's actually just not a healthy culture. Yeah. Also, I think we can be our own worst enemy as well. So I was, until very recently, I would say I was always comparing myself to old Bev, as in uh, the more successful Bev, the more wealthy Bev the higher energy levels Bev and actually I'm I'm quite okay with myself now I'm like really actually I'm actually realizing you know that well, I suppose maybe accepting rather than constantly comparing yourself and criticizing the old how you used to be and how you are now whichever area of life that is 
I don't know quite what happened in the last couple of weeks, but nice to, yeah, be more accepting and, and like yourself just the way you are in your, you know, personal life work. Um, I think energy levels, that's a, that's a work in progress because even a week ago before the interview one, <laughs> you know, I was still, you know, crying. I was crying during and um, some of that journaling. You know, I, there was frustration in some of the stuff I wrote. So there was still, there was still that going on. Whereas I know that it's important to, you know, be grateful, be grateful for what you can get in your show, basically, and make the most of it and make it, you know, as happy as you possibly can with what you've got that day, really. Um, but I'm feeling, coming to terms with that more. Yeah, healing is like an onion and there's so many layers. And sometimes we think we've dealt with a part of it, but yeah. then it shows up in a different way. And, and then we need to deal with that part slightly differently for like another layer of the healing. But what I wanted to go back to was a conversation we had privately um, where you were talking about the podcast and you said, oh, you didn't feel that you'd be ready to come on the podcast until you were air quotes fully healed. And this is a conversation I like to bring up because I think there's this just like anything in life, there's this idea of what it means to be fully healed. And and I don't I don't really agree with this idea of fully healed because I think everybody has their challenges and we're living in quite a sick world. And uh, yeah, I think just kind of this idea of the self-judgment as well, like judging yourself because you're not doing X, Y, and Z yet. It's almost just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing a good enough job yet at my healing to to be on a podcast or whatever it might be and I just I feel it's important for me to say for the listeners is that everybody's journey is different I mean you can get somebody you know you talked about those green 16 years of your life where everything was good and it's maybe like something happens and you get unwell and if you have loads of support around you and loads of resources maybe you can recover and be quote air quotes fully healed but there's there's a timeline and we've kind of been through this timeline with you where there was like anemia there's the glandular fever there was the the accident mm-hmm. there's the very very traumatic marriage and you know narcissistic abuse you know relocating having being a single parent restarting over again with your business having the thyroid issues the celiac issues that's a whole laundry list of challenges. It's a completely different situation. And, um, you know, we, we kind of, we can't compare ourselves because we're, everybody is just dealing with their unique set of challenges and uh, that road to healing or how quickly the healing happens until it gets to the standard that we think it should be looks very different for each person. So I'm wondering how you feel about that now and if you can it feels a little bit more like um, you're doing a good job. I do feel like I do a good job. But initially, initially, my feeling was, oh, I wanted to come on when I was like, oh, completely healed, i.e. I never have. I think of energy levels, it's like a spectrum. There's tiredness, which is normal. Exhaustion can be normal. But when it starts to go into different levels of fatigue, it's a completely different zone. It's a completely different feeling. And I suppose like my wish prior to today was that I would always be in the great energy levels, good energy levels, or tired, exhausted maximum before, and no more than that before coming on. This is not the case, as you know, I'll just share. But I feel, I suppose I feel more comfortable. And I think, you know, 
I think if you if you share, you know, your story, hope hopefully it will help somebody and, you know, they don't because you can't also tell a book by its cover as well. So like I'm very grateful where I'm at now and I've got a, a bit of a way to go and I think because there've been so many years of pressure building up business and I'm earning a living here, that that's not being conducive to as much rest and TLC as I would have liked. So that's where the dream life still has to come in and be very strict to not keep working and then having another, you know, burnout episode again. So yeah, you have to, you know, yeah. So I feel okay about it today. I feel okay about it. And uh, maybe some of my close people might listen and understand me a bit better too why I say no thank you to a night out, but yes please to a one-hour coffee in the day or whatever, you know. No, or, or two minutes of the freezing cold ocean in February. Yeah, exactly. Look my feet. And I was thinking people message me and just say, you know, like, how do I get better when I'm a single mom? How do I get better when I've got to work full time? How do I get better when X, Y, or Z? And I think this is why I want to use the podcast to elevate other voices, voices like your own, because you're the example that it's possible. You know, you can do this if, you know, despite the challenges that life throws at you. So I was just curious if there are any important lessons that you've learned on your journey that you'd like to share with listeners. And one of the ones that pops into my mind just then is boundaries. Like if you're a parent and you've got a child or children, like I have to, I have to keep educated, even though my son's 18, I have to keep educated. And of course, teenagers are up later, he's up, you know, later than me in an evening. But when they want help or want to ask you things, like, how long are your batteries going before your batteries, you know, oh, would you help me change my bed? Whatever it might be. And it's like, well, nine o'clock, like, like, you know, ask me before, you know, 7 p.m. or whatever time it might be that, but for this particular thing or, you know, for this particular thing before eight, or we talk about that tomorrow, you know, because I find in an evening, you know, by the time nine o'clock hit, you know, good night to the whole world. <laughs> So that is one thing I'd say, bound, you know, boundaries, you know, I've still made a lot of mistakes on boundaries, but also it might be friends and they want to do, or friends and family and they want to do one amazing outing, but then they want to do another dinner at their, which is very nice, and another whole evening outing. And in the past, I would have said, you know, yeah, reluctantly and then really suffered the next day. But now one amazing thing much I'll do one amazing thing and feel okay or good the next day. Uh, having harmony in your home as well is really important, you know. And asking for help is something that I didn't used to know how to do. And probably part of my teaching and my work is helps with that. Obviously, the Pilates in the body is the main thing. But also, it's about voicing how you feel as well and asking for help. So they've been very, very, um, you know, sort of big things and on my journey I think we'll in our last interview we talked about like light, lightning process as well which I which I did to help with the fatigue which was very good but also it's telling you to not talk about that you have a problem and to not talk about the words bad energy level or chronic fatigue or fatigue in your vocabulary ever again and I think we do need to be very mindful of the language that we use and um, on you know at the same time we need to be honest with what we need and where we're at to then yeah. they to be right for us as well. I would say it's just taking those lessons as well. I think in my own, I think my own kind of developmental trauma, shall we say, taught me not to speak up, not to share your emotions, not to ask for what you need. 
And those are all patterns that I've had to learn not, you know, to overcome in my own journey. And um, I think when I when I first became unwell, I was I was to what she said about the lightning process. I kind of was was trying already trying to do that, like say like I'm not ill, something wrong with me, I can fix this, and stopped the people around me really seeing how how much I was struggling, and just created a big disconnect between myself and the people who was supposed to be my biggest supporters. And I think. Yeah, we, we've got to find that balance between not fixating on the illness and not getting obsessive about the fact that we're unwell and we can't do X, Y, and Z. And but then there also are times when we do need to say, like, I'm really struggling here. I need help. I'm not coping. This is really hard for me or, you know, whatever it is that you need to say and express for you. We need to be able to do that too. And this is the this is the nuance, isn't it, that makes um, chronic illness complex. Yeah, and also you don't want to obviously miss a medical thing going on. So like, yeah, under undiagnosed CXs, how long was that undiagnosed? I don't know. I obviously we don't want to miss any any other medical diagnosis. Well, isn't always all mental. Although I think mental is a great is a great help, and the language we use and other things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you you're an author, and I remember the first time I met you and I found out you were an author. I was in absolute awe because I just think anybody who writes a book is just incredible because I know how much work it takes to actually write a book. So in this whole journey of you going through all these major life traumas, having all these fatigue and low energy conditions, you somehow managed to also write a book. Tell us even more than one book, I do believe. So tell us a little bit about that side of your life. Yeah, I went on a, I went, I kind of went, I went on a big spiritual journey as well on this whole fatigue recovery and I ended up training in other things, which I'm not particularly teaching now. But yeah, I was very proud. I wrote my, I was just inspired to write my first book, which is kind of like my life story. It's that, yeah, and that's called Relax and Do Your ABC. And then I wrote one called I Talk to Angels which the publisher approached me actually but my latest book is a stress calm series actually so last year um obviously i teach lots of pilates which i love mindfulness pilates and and then what happened last year and as i said i teach on zoom but what happened last year had a lawyer came to me because of their stress levels and the primary pain was the stress personally and professionally the secondary pain was prolapsed in the low back low back pain classic type and etc. And all she actually needed was a three-week one-to-one program and then classes, going to regular mindfulness Pilates classes. But at that point, I realized that I could teach companies and entire law firms. And over the last year, I've quite a few lawyers and law firms, including Anna's law firm, Robbery Morris, six months. And I took Pilates out of, I took Pilates out of the teaching and taught seven stress Calm Tool, which is now a book. <laughs> so this book's out on November in UK and USA launch. And it's stressed to come in seven minutes for lawyers. And I only asked my publisher for one book, but then they wanted me to write a series. And I've now got a co-author called Janie Lee Grace. And we our next one will be next year for teachers and nurses, etc. <laughs> There's another one also on the card, top secret for a minute. But yeah, it's kind of led into helping with stress management and well-being. 
individuals and at, and at work as well at the desk and I've been teaching it all on Zoom so yeah it's been it's been good it's a lovely combination of you know that with the Pilates classes and Pilates one-to-one. Tell us a little bit more about your mindfulness Pilates business. I guess you had a sort of big studio which was very successful which you ended up leaving due to life circumstances starting again down here on Zoom and tell people a little bit more about that and especially I guess uh, the listeners to this podcast are more in the chronic illness space some of them may not be ready to start exercising but some of them might be looking for a supportive way they can start to exercise again and and what do you offer that could be appropriate for them yeah I always start teaching classes that very gentle way have the one-to-one programs which which can be any length depending on what's right for the person and they can either be 40 minutes or one hour or shorter if there's more fatigue going on. Also, I teach, so I teach the one-to-one and then I have free taster classes where somebody can try out a class properly taught on Zoom in exchange for a testimonial. The important thing is, is that it's complete beginners. I start with somebody doesn't go straight into a class, immediate or something like that. They don't know what they're doing and they don't know how to breathe. They don't know how to strengthen their deep abdominal muscles and things like that. So that, that's a really nice thing. And then... Then if they're ready, they can then go into one of the classes. With the small group beginners, I tend to teach just maximum five clients at a time. And then with the classes, I teach maximum 10. I really quite like the code of conduct of the association I qualify with. I'm allowed to teach maximum 12, but I prefer teaching maximum five or 10 or one or two. <laughs> it means that everyone gets individual attention. As long as the video is set up well on the laptop, I can see everybody standing or when they're lying on the mat and I can correct them and make sure their alignment's really good and everything like that. And there is also, as well as all the usual benefits of the breathing, forcibility breathing, uh, the stretching, always starting with very gentle stretching, gentle everything, basic everything and making sure the technique's good and the then working on their core stability and posture and back strength and overall strength. But starting at that person's level, and I do have clients who have ME or chronic fatigue diagnosis. And there's also the option of using chair and sitting at the end of the class instead of standing and sitting at the beginning, using a chair for, uh, and it works, it works, it works really well. And I infuse in as well, meditation, mindset, and I picked this affirmation for us today, positive affirmations and one minute journaling. And I infuse that in class as well, which, which is really effective. Lost the sound, Anna. I can't hear you for a second. Back. Yeah, man. Have you ever thought about doing a class specifically for chronic fatigue? I think that would be very nice. I am very open to it. It is obviously a passion of mine because, um, well, obviously I understand it. I think that would be that would be very nice, to be honest. But yeah, I'm very open to starting one. And, um, you know, for when you've been through an experience like you and I have been and people on the show have been as well, listening to the show have been as well, I think it's just, we know that it's really hard to understand this unless you've been through it yourself. And I think working with someone who you know really gets what you're going through makes such a big difference, especially when you're doing a really scary thing like starting to exercise games. Yeah, yeah. I think you're really well placed to support others. Yeah, I don't think it has to be scary though. But I think obviously, when you, whenever you turn up something for the first time, I think um, I think the nice thing about mindfulness Pilates is a uh, big emphasis on uh, yeah, it being very tailored to each person. Like I had a class this morning, and there were four four levels of 
the core stability going on. Very gentle, very basic, beginner's level, you know, to an advanced level, actually, in that particular mixed ability class. Everybody started at level one. One of them stayed at level one. One was then on level two. Another one was on level three. Another one was on level four. But that 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 is the beauty of, uh, as you say, working with something like yourself, understanding your side of it, and working with me. It, yeah, it's really important, actually. Anything else that you want to share? Any final words of wisdom or messages for the listeners? Listen to your body and live your dream lifestyle every day, whatever that is for you. And then you're on the mat as well. I'd love that. Oh, thank you so much, Beth, for being here. Thanks for doing this all over again. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And I guess um, where can people find you if if they want to find out more about who you are and what you do? Um, on my website at mindfulnesspilates.com and they can find the free taste stuff and little gifts and stuff there. Otherwise, on social media, you can call me Bev, but I'm a Bev. But yeah, I'm Beverly Dunsham everywhere on uh, social media. They can come and say hello there as well. That'd be lovely. And the, my podcast relaunches this Wednesday, so Mindfulness Pilates podcast. They might like to tune in. I do have an episode um, with a client. You'll notice it straight away because it's got any in chronic fatigue, somebody's story sharing um, on there, which they might like to have a little listen to. Sounds brilliant. So we'll put all of those links uh, with the episode so people can find them. And until next time, everybody have a wonderful fatigue recovery day.